And welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter, uh, chatting with you here on a, uh, a Tuesday evening. I am your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host and colleague, Brian Fisher. And, and Brian, t- today, I, I, is, I think, is, is, a, is another fun podcast, similar to the one we did last week. The, the last week's episode with a, with a searching firm was uh, was received much better than honestly I had expected. Something that was going to be reasonably in the weeds. A lot of people listened. I got a lot of people reaching out to me saying that they appreciated it. They they, they hadn't seen the the curtain pulled back on this stage of the process this much. And we thought, man, you know, people like this. Maybe we should find another expert to to hit in another section. I think we're doing that today. I hope so. And I mean, we got, we got a great guest, Jason Belzer, who's an agent that represents a, a very diverse set of, of coaches out there. And, and let's face it. I mean, this is, this is topical, you know, this is in the news. I mean, literally why we're we taping this, this podcast, Georgia Southern made the, the hire of Clay Helton official. So, uh, you know, I think everything is, is kind of really diving into, this is the time of year where not only agents earn their keep, but uh, really the whole industry uh, is, is coming together, having a lot of conversations and uh, you know, it, it's just unique, especially this year, because this might be one of the most active coaching search cycles that I, I can remember. Yes, it was a little depressed last year because of the pandemic. Yeah, there were some some big openings here and there. But in terms of the actual amount of turnover, especially with two marquee openings uh, still on the board, uh, this, this could be a wild uh, month of November into December. And I think you're starting to see that. And it'll be interesting to get uh, an agent's perspective on all that because it, it, it's a busy time, whether you're in the media, whether you're an actual coach who's not only coaching you know on, on a weekly basis, but also kind of looking out uh, for that next move uh, and as well as these these agents having conversations across yeah, the country. We just saw TCU uh, announce a switch a couple of days ago, like right as I got back from taking my kids trick or treating. I'm just like, I can't engage with this news right now. This is terrible timing. We had uh, we we saw a coach get hired. By the time you are listening to this podcast, or a couple of days afterwards, I imagine there'll be at least one other opening. There's, I think, a real legitimate chance of of multiple other premier jobs opening up this cycle, either because of NFL or because their coach is going somewhere else or because a, a firing that you didn't think you were going to have to make in early October, you decide you have to make come Thanksgiving. Um, and all that pent up demand from after the pandemic is going to get weird. So to help us understand what the hell an agent actually does besides try to jack up the buyout for one of their clients, let's, let's bring in Jason right now to kind of shed some light on that. Wonderful. Um, Jason, thanks so much for hopping on here and helping to demystify something that I think gets talked about a lot, but maybe not enough but, but, uh, you know, beyond, the, beyond the surface level. Why don't we start with this? I think most of our listeners know college football coaches typically have agents. Athletic directors often have agents. Who else has agents? Do all assistants have these? Do other administrators have these? Like, Who actually uses these services in our, in our ecosystem? That's a great question. So, well, first of all, I appreciate you having me. And uh, I think I will definitely demystify some of this. Uh, to answer your first question, Matt, um, since the advent of NIL in July, I think pretty much anyone that works in college athletics has an agent at this point. Um, and that's a pretty interesting thing because being an agent is not a very good business to be in. And it's not a very good business <laughs> model. Um, yeah. And this is coming from somebody that's done it for 15 years. So the short answer is yes. Literally every single Division I football coach has an agent. I would say that 95% of every Division I football coordinator has an agent. 
And I would venture to say that even maybe like 70% of all the assistants have agents at this point, um, which is kind of crazy to think about because for most agents, a good agent like me won't actually take a commission on a client until they help them get another job. So you have all of these different people representing somebody doing God knows what um, and not actually earning anything from it. So it's a very questionable business model, like I said. But in theory, an agent is there to be able to be a third party intermediary for their client. And so if you're a sitting head coach, you probably should have somebody representing you considering you're making between several hundreds of thousands of dollars and several millions of dollars. Um, and so in the middle of the season, if you're having a great year and somebody is interested in having a conversation with you, clearly you can't have that conversation, right? Because you have a job, you're probably beholden to your contract. And so having a third party that can have those conversations on your behalf is helpful. Um, and if you're a, an assistant coach or a coordinator, that's going to get an opportunity to move up to the next level and be a head coach and run your program, probably want to have somebody represent you. The challenge is because of the nature of the business and the competitiveness, there are so many people now you have these quality control. I literally know quality control coaches uh, or staff that have agents. And these people are making like $27,000 a year coaching at Louisiana Monroe. What the hell do you need an agent for? But that's because that I, I, I'm literally about to ask that question, right? Like what, the commission is like that, that might there get you. A, I mean, there's nothing to be yeah. made. And the challenge is because you have any, so one of the challenges with representing coaches is anyone can be an agent. So I signed my first client, I was 20 years old. So I couldn't do that if I wanted to represent an NFL player because you have to be licensed by the Players Association. Just like now, anyone can represent a student athlete, which by the way, Matt, that's like a great idea. You should become an agent for some student athletes and see how that works out. I think that'd be a pretty funny experiment. Um, I, I'll, I'll, let me hit that point in, in just a second. Like, no, no honestly, I, I'm, I was surprised to learn this myself because I – Six months ago was operating. I don't know. Maybe you knew this already, Brian, because you're smarter than I am. But I was operating in the assumption that you needed a license to be a to, to represent college athletes or at least pass the bar somewhere. And as I began to try to negotiate NIL deals myself, and occasionally agents would come pitch me, and I wouldn't realize till we got on the phone that like, oh, this dude's twenty. This dude's literally still an undergrad, and I could tell by the way he's talking to me on the phone. And the way that he texts me at two o'clock in the morning and the way that he's hyping up his his client who like plays like lacrosse at Middlebury or something. And that 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 changed the way that I perceived this entire thing. Like so I literally I could just declare myself an agent like Michael Scott declares bankruptcy. And despite so having not done any postgraduate work. Yeah. So technically, in order to represent a student athlete, you need to be licensed in your state under the Uniform Athlete Agent Act. And so any agent that represents, let's say I'm an NFL agent that's recruiting a student athlete at Alabama or Jacksonville State, I need to be licensed by the UAAA in the state. And it depends, like the fees are between like $300 and $1,000, depending on the state. So like Texas is like $1,000 and some states are cheaper. Um, and if you don't like, if you don't register to even have a phone call with the student athlete, not only could you be fined, but technically it's a felony and you can be put in jail. What's happening right now with NIL, and I know we're going off on a tangent, is you have all these kids or people representing student athletes that are not licensed by the UAAA. 
So I would venture to say that there have been more felonies committed in the last four months since NIL started than maybe ever, because you have all these people that have no idea what they're doing that are basically violating the law every time they're trying to get the lacrosse player for Middlebury uh, NIL deal for $17. So, so much of the focus, obviously, when, when you just hear the word agent, it probably comes down to people just thinking about contracts. But how much of your job is is beyond just that negotiating and, and reaching out on behalf of your clients? Yeah, so I would say that's 97% of my job is like the negotiation aspect of it is a very tiny piece. And clearly, I have the technical qualification as somebody that's gone to law school. Although, ironically, the vast majority of agents that are representing coaches are not lawyers. And one of the reasons why they are not lawyers, other than maybe they just are too lazy to go to law school, is because in order, if you're a lawyer, you can't have a conflict of interest. But as we know, there's nothing more that agents that represent coaches love than having a conflict of interest and representing like 17 coaches in the same conference. So that's essentially what they're doing. And they're representing the coach. Now they're representing the player and they're representing the coach or, or the university as well. So like a great example of that is, say, somebody like a Jimmy Sexton. Um, you know, CAA represents the SEC conference. Uh, CA now represents Bryce Young. Jimmy and CA represent Nick Saban. Jimmy, at one point, I think last year, represented 11 of the 14 SEC head football coaches. So, how could you possibly not have a conflict of interest if you represent the school, you represent the coach, and you represent the starting quarterback and probably 17 other players on the team? And it benefits when you're not a barred attorney because there's no laws that say you can't do that other than your client saying, hey, I'm comfortable with it or not. And most of the time, most agents won't even reveal the rest of their client lists to their clients. They just pretend that they're you know, conflict-free. Um, so technically, you should always be representing the best interests of your client. You should be marketing them. You should be looking for opportunities for them. What ends up happening, and you should have a search firm on here because a, a, a we did that last week, actually. Yeah. Right. Well, they'll tell you, the transparent ones will tell you that there are agents that'll call them and say, oh, uh, Rucker's open. Well, here's like 17 clients that I represent who would be amazing fits for the job, even though like 16 of them are from California and have never even been to New Jersey. Um, and that's the challenge of an industry where there's zero regulation. So- what you just laid out, I, 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 maybe this is a dumb question, but I'll ask it anyway. Like that seems like that would not align well with producing the best outcomes for any of the individuals, and certainly not for fiscal responsibility. Um, given that many other industries are regulated, and given that many other like lawmakers are, are attorneys or, or, or you know care about licensure for for similar things, why hasn't any regulatory body stepped in meaningfully and said this is stupid? And we're tired of the headlines every year about, you know, here's some coach that went four and eight, three years in a row. And now he owns like the Virgin Islands, thanks to the money from South Carolina. Why doesn't anyone, why hasn't any state house said like, we can't do this anymore? Because not for state it, entities. Well, well, let's not forget that in 48 of the 50 states in, in the U.S., the highest paid state employee is a coach. So who is going to go tell Nick Saban you shouldn't be represented by X person? Second of all, who has the authority? an Auburn grad, right? Like yeah, that's the- <laughs> so well, but you know, Tommy Tuberville is in office. He should be telling Nick Saban, "You got to go fire Jimmy Sexton because 
or whatever, right? Even though Tommy, I think, is represented by Jimmy anyway, so it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. That's the challenge. <laughs> Tom, oh, Tommy, is- Tommy's represented by different people these days, if you know what I mean. Like, that's – yeah, but I, mean, I, get, who, I get your point. batten down the hatch. Remember what happened a year ago when the NCAA came out with their rules about who can represent basketball players? And then that's everybody point. said, oh, you're trying to – because you are requiring a college degree, you're trying to like, you know, Heisman, Rich Paul, and all the people that don't have college degrees, the NCAA doesn't want to get involved in this stuff. And they don't want another lawsuit to deal with. So it's just a free for all. And that's essentially what college athletics has become. And the reason why we sit here where we are today, the reason why NLL exists is because of the agents that have somehow bid up a lot of these coaches to create of market value that doesn't exist, right? Like why are yeah. some coaches getting paid? Why is, you know, the coach of Mizzou, why did he get paid $3 million when he was making significantly less at his previous job? And there was no reason for him to get paid $3 million at Mizzou other than Mizzou just decided to say, well, you're represented by the same guy that represents all the other coaches in the league. So I guess we have no choice but to pay you that amount of money. Or, or, or maybe we only pay you 1.4 and then people on the recruiting trail say that we're not serious about football or something, right? Yes. Or some other That's exactly thing. And yeah. the AP is like, it's not my money, so I'll just get another donor to pay a couple of million dollars. And if it doesn't work out, this donor will pay the $30 million buyout. I don't really this, That is going on as we speak, those conversations. Um, you know? it, 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 literally, yeah, this is part, part of why we want to brought you on. Like, I, it, I, it, it doesn't. You don't have to have an MBA to look at this ecosystem and say like this is ridiculous. And you are not the first agent that's told me like honestly. Even though some of these buyouts may in some world lead to bigger commissions, like you can't really feel good about this ecosystem, right? Is, it, is there any entity that can meaningfully slow this down? Because I understand the first athletic director that gets up there and says like enough is enough. I'm I'm not I'm I'm only paying two million dollars, and we're going to cap this, the length of his contract at four years. Well, I mean that guy's getting fired. Right. Like it, no, nobody gets brownie points for fiscal responsibility. Right. It's like, is there any anybody that can that can change this trajectory or are we just going to write the same freaking headline every year? Uh, my honest opinion is that only one that can change this trajectory is me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I actually but I'm half serious in the sense that I have yeah. been part of the problem for the last 15 years in some ways, even though I think I run a different operation than a lot of other agents. But what I'm really getting at is that NIL may finally change some of this because if some of the money starts going into the pockets of the student athletes, the universities are no longer going to be able to just throw millions of dollars at coaches because the money's not going to be there, right? Like if, if all of a sudden the labor starts getting paid, then the university needs to start saying, we can't afford to just be paying these coaches more and more and more money because we got to get the players money or the brands are shifting their dollars to the. So part of what I've started to do with some of my other business ventures is try to get brands to stop spending money with schools and start spending money with the student athletes instead. It's funny you mentioned the, the, the student athletes having agents because that is a, a, just a new area that everybody's exploring, obviously, in, in this new era of NIL. But it, Agents in, in the past, they used to be very specialized. You know, you used to you'd have baseball agents, you used to have basketball agents. I mean, you mentioned Jimmy Sexton earlier. Uh, he used to be just really focused on NFL players. And then he got into the, the kind of the coaching side as well. I mean, you know, Reggie White was his famously his first client. And 
it, it's been an evolution for a lot of the bigger firms, especially to represent all these various different interests. What, what's what's the difference in, in your mind being an agent from representing a, a big time basketball coach, a big time football coach, and now representing student athletes? How does how does your job change with each of those? I mean, uh, so, so if, if we're going to talk about student athlete representation, the business of representing student athletes as an agent is a horrible business. Like horrible. I've heard this too. Like there's, yeah. there's like, almost there no way to make no, money. Yeah. Yeah. You can't like, guarantee that you work with the guy when they become a professional, the margins are, are, are small. Like there's no money in the business, right? Like even if your student athlete makes a hundred thousand dollars a year in endorsements, you're going to make 20 from that. The effort is really not worth it. The only reason why these big agencies are even re- re- doing this is because they have to, because then otherwise some 21-year-old schmuck who thinks he's an agent is going to sign this kid, and maybe he's actually going to convince him to work with him when he becomes a professional. So it's basically they have to sign these kids at a loss functionally and babysit them for three or four years until they become pros and hope they can hold on to them. Otherwise, they would never want to do this because they didn't have a problem signing these kids anyway beforehand. Why would they need to sign them while they're in school? It doesn't make sense. Would you recommend some 20-year-old schmuck start an agency and and, and reach out to 10 other undergrads and and give this a shot? Like These are the people that I see on Market Price and on on Open Doors trying to make calls. And sometimes these, these people pitch me. Uh, I, uh, I, I will admit that if, if NIL was a thing 15 years ago when I was coming out of college, I would probably be – I was one of those kids. I just yeah. chose to go to the coaches because I didn't need a license. I didn't have to be registered in a state. And I was able to convince 40-year-old men and women to let me represent them. And that's also the big difference between representing a player and a coach. My clients have 20, 30, 40-year career horizons, not like – a year and then they're out of the league. Right. So my representation of like, I have been working with clients for 15 plus years, unless you're representing Tom Brady, you don't really have pro athlete clients that last that long. Um, I get on on that, on that front, right. I'm I'm trying to imagine being somebody that has a 40 year career arc and, and, you know, presumably somebody that has other options in selecting an agent and, and, you know, for you, Many of these 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 thirty forty year olds went with with, uh, with somebody in their early twenties. How does somebody in this in this in this space go about finding an agent? Like, hey, I, I am a graduate assistant, and then I got my first job. I'm a position coach at Maine, and I'm thinking that maybe I want to go try to grab a job in the Missouri Valley. I better get a representation. Where do I go? Is there like do I go in the yellow pages or just like Google football coach agent? Like, like how does that work? So it's a couple of different things. Um, a lot of my clients now come through referrals, uh, but I also actively recruit new clients. But on the football side, what's interesting and what's been happening is you have agencies. I'll give you two as an example, one being CAA, the other one being Athletes First. They are representing the quality control people, the assistant coaches. And basically what they are doing and offering to some people is say, hey, when you when you become a head coach at this school, which will help you get the job, we will also turnkey build your staff for you. And then they will take a commission all the way down the staff because they place the offensive line coach, they place the defensive quality of control person, and they're getting their three, four percent from each person. And it's turnkey. And to some coaches, for some reason, that sounds like that's great, right? Like you're going to build the best staff for me. And that's the sell that they make to the young guys. You come with us 
and we'll get you on staff when one of our big clients work up and we're basically like a staffing agency, right? But we just get a cut of everybody's commission all the way up and down the ladder. I mean, it's a pretty interesting model if you have the critical mass and you have no ethics and you're just caring, you're thinking about what, you know, maximum profit you can make. Sure. Why not? I mean, I, I would have, I would have imagined once you get to be the point where you're the head coach at a P5 institution that you've been in the industry long enough that you would have enough personal connections that you would have sure. a personal opinion about who your wide receivers coach is rather than an agent. Sure. But eventually you might say, okay, I know who my offensive and defensive coordinators are, but I don't know who the 10th assistant on my staff is going to be like, who's the big up and coming guy that I need to hire. And you go to your agent and they make a recommendation. And it's it's a little bit ridiculous, but that's that's just the way that things work right now. There's this turnkey ecosystem that has been created. And you have if you're worth representing and even if you're not worth representing, there's going to be somebody that's going to be soliciting you. I have been told by my clients that agents at bigger agencies have sent their runners to be waiting for them after games to try to convince them to get a drink or take a meeting with one of their bosses so they can talk about, you know, being represented by somebody. I mean, most of these people have no shame in their, in what they will do to try to get somebody to work with them or take them from somebody else. So you mentioned runners. That's, that's obviously kind of the, the subset of the industry, certainly uh, that has made headlines uh, in, in past, uh, especially related to a lot of these NCA investigations. But uh, how has the industry itself kind of changed and, and almost self-policed some of those practices, especially with not not just runners, but, you know, financial services firms uh, as, as grown really in popularity as, as not only an offering for uh, some of these agencies, but uh, really in, involved in, in the entire process from start to finish as well? I don't think there's really been anything that the industry has done to police it. I mean, it's the opposite. I think a lot of these firms have even become more aggressive in the offerings that they make. And some of these firms, like I'll just give an example. And I think this is an agency that does it the right way. They don't really represent coaches. They represent athletes. Octagon, which a lot of people are familiar with, right? One of the top five, six biggest agencies in the world. They have a financial services arm. So Octagon represents Seth Curry. And they invest every single dollar that Seth Curry makes. And so that's a huge driver of business for them. CA is no different. WME is no different. And a lot of these companies, are, Octagon is a public company. WME is, an, is a public company. CAA will be going public soon. And so you got to think about that as well. If you're a client for one of these firms, you're just a line item on their, you know, on their pro forma, right? Like at the end of the day, you're just a, a, a number figure to them that's helping them trade their stock at a higher valuation than you otherwise would. But again, that's the nature of the business. And yeah. some people want Hollywood. Some people want somebody like Jason who they can call and get to at any point that they want and is not going to sell them on being on a movie with in, in a movie with Tom Cruise. You know, I, I, as longtime digital media veterans, Brian and I know that it's usually the safest place you could be is with a larger conglomerate that's motivated by stock price. Yes. Um, nothing bad has ever happened to anybody as part of those portfolios, right? No, it's biggest biggest budgets. What, what could possibly go yes, wrong? Yes, exactly. Um, you 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 kind of mentioned something else that I've been thinking about a lot with this idea that large agencies fun, functioning as essentially staffing firms that are, are responsible for funneling assistance uh, or lower level assistance through these pipelines. A major criticism, especially in the college space for football and men's basketball has been that at the highest level, the coaching pipelines and even administrative pipelines are super white. 
um, yep. and, and, and they're, and they're super male. And I would imagine that part of that is a reflection of who either be- enters at the beginning of this pipeline and the kinds of people that get moved through that pipeline or rather get stuck as the staff recruiter, I, I, you know, podcasting's visual medium and all making the, the air quotes here with my hands around that. It, it, do you view the agent side of this operation as a hindrance in improving diversity and inclusion outcomes or are there things that the industry could be doing more to ensure better representation uh, at the top? I think that 99.9% of agents could care less about diversity. I think they just want to be able to plug their client into, you know, a job. And um, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've represented, at least in basketball, more my first time minority head coaches than any other agent and helped put together the collegiate coaching diversity pledge last year, right. um, which we launched athletic director review, but I don't think they care. I think they just want to get somebody to the top and make their commission and that's it. And part of that is because of the reality of the industry, but also I'm going to make this very clear and I might be the only agent that will ever be able to, is willing to say this publicly. There is not an agent in the world, whether it's Jason Belzer or Jimmy Sexton or Trace Armstrong, that can get a client a job because we don't hire our clients, right? It's the athletics director or the GM that is making the hire. So unless I'm like bribing the AD to do something, he's not hiring my client because I represent him or because I told him to hire him. And so we can only help position our clients to to be able to seize opportunities. But at the end of the day, it's the AD that's got to make the hire. And the problem is, and we've written a lot about this on Athletic Director U, is the people that are making the hiring are old white men that want to hire other white men to be their coaches. I mean, that's just the nature of the business. And so if you happen to look at the correlations, it's no surprise that minority ADs tend to hire minority head coaches at higher rates than white ADs. And women that are in the AD chair tend to hire minorities at higher rates than white males. So until the leadership changes and until the leadership of the leadership changes, meaning the donors that are all white males who are telling the white male AD to hire the white male coach changes, nothing changes. Well, changing one of those groups is probably going to be a teensy bit easier to change than than other ones. But if you could, if you, if you had the, the, the universal power to shift the demographics of donor pools for some of these larger universities, well, that's that's a that's a, a power that extends well beyond this particular industry, I would imagine. Yes. Now, when when you, when you talk with coaches too, lifestyle is, is such a big part of how things go. It's, it's not just you know making sure that the, you know their wife is is happy with their house and all that. But but what do you talk to when you talk to your clients and, and you discuss you know factors that go into these jobs that they might be pursuing? What is kind of the biggest sticking point for for them? And then maybe on on the flip side, what do you always caution them uh, about? And when 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 they th- think here's my big break, you know th- this could be the job that gets my big break, but it could also be a one that spits you out and chews you out within three or four years. Correct. Yeah. So I'm the type of person that I will never push a client for a job that I don't think they're a fit for. And I'm willing to walk away from a client if I think if I think they're taking a job that they have no chance of being successful at. And what I mean by that is not to say that my client can't coach, but the circumstances around the university or the program don't allow somebody to be successful. So maybe the AD is an asshole or maybe the there's not enough that never, fun that never happens never yeah. happens right? never happens or whatever that is and so that's important 
that's probably the greatest value I can provide my clients outside of making sure that they have a secure contract is being able to tell them, hey, great AD, the job, the resources aren't awesome, but you have leadership and support and you're going to have time to get what you need done, or you better watch out who you're working for, or just so you understand, this university has never supported this sport and has always pumped money into this sport, and you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. And let me tell you, I have never met a coach in my life, including all my clients, who didn't think that they can turn around New Mexico State and make it the next Alabama, right? Like, Everybody thinks they're the yeah. second coming of Bear Bryant. <laughs> well, you, you have to, right? It, right. It's, the, it's the same thing with athletes too, right? Nobody comes in there thinking like, no, I'm a fringe two-star. And if I really bust my ass, you know, maybe I could come in and start for Butler. Like you, to be that kind of hyper-competitive, you almost have to be irrational uh, yeah. about what you can achieve. Like I, I'm honestly like, I'm, I'm really interested <clears throat> to hear about what, what goes on in your head if you have like a, if you're trying to tell somebody this isn't a good fit for you or the, the resources or the the leadership fit and and the, the, your clients dead set on taking it have, have, has there ever been a time when it's like well actually maybe maybe they were right and I, I didn't think it was a great idea but it worked out or have you walked away from anything like that so, so a couple of things number one I try to sign clients like when I make a decision to finally work with somebody that I will never have to face that type of circumstance. So I try to have that conversation before that. Yeah. That being said, it still ends up happening sometimes. I have never seen a client take a job where I thought that they were gonna fail where they didn't fail, right? Because I can just understand that it's gonna happen. I've also never seen a job, somebody take a job where I thought they were gonna fail and they somehow succeeded beyond my wild imagination because it just doesn't happen, right? And so I have told clients, I have walked away from certain situations. I have said, if there are opportunities like this that you want to pursue, you're free to pursue them yourself. I will not be involved in the transaction. I can recommend somebody else if you want another lawyer to do your deal. In every one of those circumstances, my client has said, I trust you, Jason. I am not going to pursue the opportunity. So I'm fortunate for that. And there's a reason why my clients have had staying power for the most part because they've at least put themselves in good in good positions, right? Um, and it's there, there's this old adage in professional sports, it's not about getting in the league, it's about staying in the league. It's the same thing I tell my coaching clients, it's not about becoming a head coach, it's about staying a head coach. You have like a 70%, 80% chance of getting fired as a coach at some point. So you're better off just getting a job and being there than thinking like, I gotta be there for two years so I can be the next power five head coach at state you don't think that far along just think about putting yourself in the best possible spot today so a lot of our conversation right now has been focused on obviously the, the college aspect but it, i think it's it's growing in importance that that crossover between the professional sports and, and, and the college sports the gap is, is certainly you know on the field and, and on the court you know shrunk down but in terms of the lifestyle a lot of coaches you know it used to be you could be the guy at a usc or at texas and you were the you were you were the king and you got to you know dictate pretty much everything and everything's centered around you nowadays given nil given a lot of things i, I know a lot of coaches have kind of brought up you know what, that professional lifestyle might be a little bit more well-suited to me. How do you kind of navigate that in, in today's day and age with your clients and discuss that with them? Because the jobs are different and, and the lifestyles are vastly different when you're talking about, yeah, some guys might want to be a college coach and, and they like that developmental aspect of things. But at the end of the day, they, they get vacation in the NFL. They're not always on their phone. Yeah, but the challenge is being an NFL or NBA coach, you have an even shorter lifespan than you do as a college head coach. The average NBA head coach, this is a real statistic, 
has a lifespan or career head coaching span of about 2.2 years. So like 2.2 years, at least in college, it's closer to like four, right? Like usually you get at least four. That being said, the lifestyle is different, not having to recruit. And so what we're, we see that play out the Urban Meyer experiment. But then at the same time, we see the John Beeline experiment of like coaching 18 year old kids is different than telling LeBron James what he should be doing. Right. And, you know, my former coach, Greg Schiano, learned that lesson at Tampa Bay. He was a micromanager. He could tell us whatever he wanted to do. Like, but and we would listen because we didn't have a choice. But we also weren't empowered. Right. And so, yeah, you can't do that to pro players. But today, that's the Gary Patterson issue. Right. Like if anyone really knows, Gary Patterson was a phenomenal coach in a world where the player couldn't talk back. But that doesn't work these days. Right. And so that's why we are seeing Coach K and, you know, Roy Williams saying, I'm out. And the old guard is going to be replaced anyway at some point, whether it's a Gary Patterson, he's going to get pushed out regardless. So it's definitely a different profession. And I, I predict that we're going to see shorter and shorter and shorter tenures for head coaches in college, which is already crazy because it's already pretty short because the system just sucks people in and chews them out. And universities are not willing to wait. They're not willing to compromise. And it's just a, it's a doom loop. That's what it is. It's a doom no. loop. If you've ever well, read this, this, by Jim Collins. Yeah, this, 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 this is a place, if you feel that it is the correct word to use, where you can employ a four letter word. If, 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 if that's, that's <laughs> truly what's, what's necessary here, right? We're not, we're, we're not Puritans about that. Um, it, it doesn't. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't sound great. I. I, I keep. I'm, I think I've been thinking here about something you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation about how virtually everybody at this point is going to be needing or could be interested in representation. And thinking about name, image, and likeness, I would imagine that some of the groups that are going to take on even more importance are going to be people that work in creative services, people that make social media graphics, people that make videos, maybe even people that are that are really good dobos and are like the people that are like you know, keeping the culture and knowing where bodies are buried within some of these programs. Are these people that are going to be getting agents and will be recruited and poached the same way that a coordinator might? I wouldn't be surprised if one day we see a situation where a coach just tells his school, like, I'll handle all the recruiting. Don't worry about it. Like my agents will do it. Why not? Like what, what does that matter? Right. I mean, again, that's kind of like what the CAAs of the world are already doing. They're representing the conference and media rights what stops them from going and saying, Hey, we'll handle everything from A to Z. And maybe the coach will say, you know, I'll pay for it. Right. Like it'll come out of my salary. If that's what the case is. I mean, I, I know, and I won't say who it is. I know a co- sitting head coach in college football who has an attorney on staff at his program, who's like an operations person, but the only function that individual has is to protect the coach's ass. Like literally he is a paid employee. The university is paying him, but the coach hired him specifically only to work for the coach, not the institution, not for the benefit of the program, but for the benefit of the coach to make sure that the coach's ass is covered in the event that something goes wrong with recruiting or one of his assistants does something. Why is that such a, I mean, isn't that what we're moving towards anyway in college athletics, a professional model? Listen, we are having this conversation not 36 hours after 
credible reports of a coach being involved in a monkey biting related incident. And if I was the kind of person that that was my social and, per, and personal circle, that's money well spent. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have we have get back coaches. If you need a get back coach in your personal and professional life, spend that money. Like I, I, there, there, I, I mean, can, why, yeah, it's smart. If I'm if I'm a Nick Saban, I make ten million dollars a year. Why wouldn't I have like an, my own attorney on staff? Like it's my operation. I'll pay for it out of my pocket. I want to make sure that somebody's not going to jeopardize my job, right? And so why can't I hire my own people to me? I mean, that's basically what most of these coaches have anyway, the good ones. They have free reign to hire who they want to do what they want, and the school pays for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, great great, great system we're moving towards here. I, I, I can't wait to set up a database in two years, right, where we're, we're tracking not just like the USA Today salary database for assistance, but we're going to be breaking down agencies and everything for – uh, for dobos and for and for recruiting coordinators and for secretaries and all these kind of things, it's, it's going to be great. It's this yeah. this, is, this is a beautiful new world. I can let me ask you this last question: If you were made czar of the hiring process for either coaches or administrative personnel or anybody, you you are given you know dictator powers here for thirty six hours to, to unilaterally change one thing about hiring process. What would it be? I would say that uh, if you're asking me in terms of pure hiring process, I would say that um, the hiring process needs to happen by committee at a school. And the committee needs to be a diverse group of people, all who have power to be able to help make the decision. So it's not just the AD that it's there has to be a diverse group of people that are going to really look at candidates and do it in a blind way so that people of color and other backgrounds have a genuine opportunity to be able to get jobs. And it's not just an AD trying to placate his biggest donor who's telling him, you better hire this guy or your job's next. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. This One of the, the big takeaways that I had from talking with with, with Kyle about, with, about search firms last week was like, hey, one of the reasons that we actually do provide a lot of value isn't because we give you a list of potential candidates because that's true. Like anybody on Twitter can do that. We all make fun of them for it, but because they are equipped to handle that kind of committee because it isn't just the ADs, at least at some schools, it's the AD and the president and six boosters, all of whom may be idiots, but have money and maybe a faculty academic rep and maybe a student and maybe, I don't know, some other random person. And that can be a lot to navigate because most of those people have no idea how to hire anybody. Um, Maybe and, and that's that's where they step in, but it's, it sounds like that's the world that is preferable to having one person than having the, the kind of the other easy change is just to make it that it's illegal to pay a coach's buyout from like the school's athletic funds. Like it has to come from a donor. Otherwise, if you do that, then basically you're forced to think through your decisions because you're basically forced to keep a coach because you can't pay them otherwise. And that, that also will basically help solve a lot of the problems that exist in this system. Like think twice about hiring somebody because you might be stuck with them for a long time. Well, next time I have an Illinois state representative on, <laughs> on the, on the phone, right. Once we're getting done talking about gambling, I'll bring that up, you know, and, 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 and you know, the, the Brett Bielema insurance for the good people here yeah. in, in Illinois, Jason, thanks so much here for spending some time. I'm sure that we'll be, uh, we'll be chatting again soon. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. Take you care. bet. Bye. Um,
I I thought that was an excellent conversation. I I, I learned a lot and picked up a lot, and I want to I want to dig into it for uh, with you for a second. But before we do, I want to quickly share a message from a sponsor for this week's show. Um, this episode of Going for Two is brought to you in part by Accelerate Sports Ventures. Uh, we spent a lot of time just there talking about name, image, and likeness. Um, NIL is here, and Accelerate Sports Ventures has you covered. You can check out Name, Image, and Likeness 101, You Are Your Own Brand, which is an educational course that they have put together that shares the experiences and best practices to help you and potential athletes or you, an athletic department helping athletes, or you, uh, a fan who knows athletes in your life. And you can learn from former NFL athletes, ESPN analysts, social media influencers, media executives, everybody uh, who is an expert in this field to give you the information you need to build your brand build your network, your social media, your content creation, and most importantly, your financial literacy. Uh, we will have a link to that course available here on our show notes from Accelerate Sports Ventures, A-S-V. Um, I don't think I fully appreciated the extent that agencies are involved in virtually or could potentially become involved in virtually every facet of this operation which I can see being really positive on some hands. And listen, it's it's great to have somebody else advocating on your behalf with your boss, but I can also see how this can make things uh, much more complicated, especially since based on just this conversation, this whole operation sounds barely more regulated than crypto. Oh, absolutely. And I think that is kind of what, you know, the, the college sports industry, although they had kind of kept things away from from going down that road, uh, it's really just kind of coming into its own because, uh, you know what, that's kind of the way the world uh, works right now. I mean, you, you go into Hollywood. I mean, it, it's very, very much a similar proposition. He mentioned, you know, Jason mentioned CAA several times there. Obviously, you're talking about uh, representing massive stars and uh, media companies as well. I mean, there, there are entire deals, entire TV shows that have been put together. And, and now it's it's coaching searches and, and uh, coaching coaching staffs, like he was mentioning. So it, it is just a, a whole new world. And it kind of, it's just wild to me thinking back, you know, five, 10 years ago when you were covering kids, you know, who are declaring for the draft and they're kind of going through that pre-agency process and, you know, they, they might make a decision, you know, over a month, you know, kind of in the spring after the, after things have happened. Now, now they're doing it in, in, as a junior in high school, you know, just because of NIL either in their high school and at other states or, you know, coming into college, uh, knowing they're a hotshot recruit who might have some NIL, NIL deals waiting for them. So uh, just the, the speed and the breadth of needing an agent has, has changed, you know, and, and the agencies are changing with it. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here trying to imagine entering any kind of long-term business relationship when I was 16 or 17. And like that, it just straight up does not compute. I, I didn't. I don't think I understood money came in denominations bigger than twenty dollar bills at, at that point. Like I, I thought I was rich when I was delivering pizza. Th- that that level of responsibility and forward thinking is uh, w- would not be possible. I, th- I think at that at that it takes a special kind of person to be ready to do that. Um, the, weird, the weird thing too about you know agents and and Jason kind of mentioned it too in, in our conversation is just that there's really nobody kind of having oversight about this, you know, yes, there's, yeah. there's the NFL PA, there's the NBA PA. Yes. They, they kind of regulate things on, on the professional level, but you know, the NCAA has, has tried to do what they could certainly in terms of enforcement and some of the rules around that, um, you know, but uh, 
recently, the, a lot of those rules have gone away. You know, he mentioned the UAA Act. Uh, I you know uh, that that has come up uh, from time to time, but it, it's really not a priority to to enforce by the states. And, and obviously, you're talking about difficult to prove in terms of really going through that entire process to kind of get agents caught up in it. So uh, it, it's difficult, and, and nobody expects nas- national regulation on this for sure because uh, of the way Congress. I mean, the NCA would, would love to get an NIL deal done nationally, so. Sorting out their, how the agents and, and all that whole, whole piece goes, that, that that's way on the back burner. So I, I think it's just uh, you know kind of a a bit of a wild wild west, and and it's e- becoming even more so uh, these last couple of years. Yeah, man, we've been an infrastructure week for like three and a half years. It, it feels like like the, the idea of then trying to now we're going to go navigate athletic agents or anything with nil feels increasingly remote and, and may get even more remote depending on, on how the rest of this week particularly goes. Um, even at the, even at the state house level. Um, yeah, I come away thinking here, part of me thinking like, man, if, if quality assurance coaches are getting agents, maybe I need to get an agent. And then also, um, maybe now maybe I'm a little bit more terrified of, of potentially having one. Um, which is that that's just a sign of a great industry, I guess I, this, this may be indispensable and also, um, might be a 20 year old. Say la vie. Um, this I, I think this this has been useful though. It's important to have this this big picture context of what's happening with all of the forces that shape coaching searches, which is a, a, one of the single biggest you know forces that can change anything in an athletic department. It's all happening here right now. We're going to continue to cover and and uh, both on this podcast and on extra points and all over the internet, uh, our, our own little contained ecosystem. Um, Brian, real quick, where else can people find you? And what are the other things that you're working on that you want to make sure people know about besides what we just discussed? Uh, at Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Always the best place on Twitter to find me. Lots going on. I mean, it's, it's jam-packed week. We got uh, midweek football is back. I think we had football on uh, every day until like right after Thanksgiving. So uh, yep. a lot going on in the football world. Obviously, I have college football playoff rankings. You have uh, coaching searches. Uh, my, my Monday column, uh, Seven Step Drop, is on, on Athlon Sports. We got NFL power rankings. We got uh, really the, the whole gamut. And, and plus uh, this podcast, a whole, whole bunch of announcements coming up as well. So that is the best place is, is that feed right there. Yeah, that is, um, you are certainly more plugged into the coaching search world than I am. I would definitely recommend people give you a follow uh, on that front. Um, we do have some exciting stuff to share around this podcast, I think coming soon. And, uh, beyond all of that, I'm also trying to keep my head above water with conference realignment. Um, I, I didn't even bother to mention that on this particular podcast. I don't know if I'm going to get to it this week on extra points, just because it might be outdated by the time I send it to you. The most recent one I published on Monday, I want to drop that in the show notes in here too, detailing what might be happening with conference USA. Um, man, if I knew for sure, I'd tell you, but conference USA doesn't even know, which is, which is, which is a great sign. And that's true for like six other leagues. So stay tuned. We'll keep up with it as best we can. I'm at Matt Brown EP. Extra points is, of course, extrapointsmb.com. Thanks for listening, friends, and we'll catch up with you next week. Mm-hmm.